Chapter Ten of The Heron Nest by W. Bert Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Ten: The Hen That Lays the Golden Egg. Further work of getting out the fence posts for Mister Menden had to be postponed, for there was a big job of spading before Jack, and as soon as he could get a fork into the ground. He began to turn over the plot they had marked on the plan for potatoes and early peas. Mr. Heron helped at this, too, and they got the first planting of peas in on the 16th of March, and the potatoes four days later. The smooth-sided variety of peas will seldom rot, even if planted early in a wet spring. If they suffer a spell of frost after getting above ground, it will not set them back much. In planting the early potatoes, Billy and his brother put plenty of straw in the furrow under them, for the double purpose of draining the soil if there should be much rain, and creating heat beneath the tubers. These first plantings, even the careful cutting of the seed potatoes, in which work Granny and Aunt Nanny helped, of course, were mighty interesting. But just about this time, something happened. That, in Pearl Mary's opinion, at least, quite overtopped everything else in interest. Every day she had stolen quietly into the cellar and given the setting hens opportunity to leave their nests and scratch a little in the grit she had thrown on the cement floor. She fed them whole corn, and a little pan of fresh water was always in view, and she refrained from letting both biddies off their nests at once. Now the first hen was three weeks on her eggs, and Pearl Mary ran up to tell the family delightedly that she had heard the first cheep from under Biddy's wings. Billy and the girl had some talks about the hen industry. The cripple had read quite as much about poultry raising as Pearl Mary herself, and he had digested and retained the information better than she. He believed that it was the hen, not the goose, that lays the golden egg in these times. But every hen does not prove a gold mine for her owner. Many a man has the satisfaction of eating fresh laid eggs for his breakfast at about six times the market price. But the cheapness or expense of keeping poultry did not enter much into the discussion of Billy and his sister just then. They had decided that the old-fashioned way of leaving the newly hatched chickens for some days with the mother and then weaning them was an exploded doctrine if incubator hatched chickens which are admittedly more weakly than the general run of those hatched under the hen can thrive without the care of a mother why should not hen hatched chickens start at once to look out for themselves and the percentage of chicks killed by the foolish mothers stepping on them or pecking them because they happen to be off color is not to be considered too therefore as the chicks broke shell pearl mary brought each into the house and put it in a basket lined with cotton wool behind the stove having treated the setting hens kindly they were not wild and did not object to being handled while the chicks were hatching some of the chicks that just pipped the shell were helped through by the girl's dexterous fingers and warmed to life and strength in the basket usually such weaklings get little chance when left under the mother 
and seldom even get out of the shell, or, if they do get out, are likely to be crushed by the hen. All but one of the first setting of eggs hatched, and the entire fifteen under the second hen produced lusty chicks. This is not remarkable when well-bred eggs are used. One chick died in the basket soon after being brought into the house, indeed before they were fed, but there were left twenty-eight apparently healthy and vigorous chicks. Now, sis, said Billy, seriously, the chicken farm is started. Those twenty-eight chicks are your capital, and they must serve you to experiment with. In raising them, you should learn to raise a much larger flock next year, if all goes well. These are the real early birds, but they'll need to catch a lot more than worms. Variety is more than the spice of life to the chicken. A variety of food is absolutely necessary to its well-being, and now a March cockerel should make a July broiler, and a March pullet should begin to lay in September. Let's see if you can bring your family up in the way it should go. The boys found time to build the hen house which they had promised Pearl Mary. Not that she would have use for it at once, but there was enough paint left from the cottage to give this little shelter a couple of coats, and the boys desired to get rid of the unsightly pile of lumber they had saved for the structure. Even the movable chicken run and brooder were painted, and were rather ornamental on the front grass plot. As Jack moved them every day, the chicks did no harm to the grass roots. And as for the twenty-eight downy yellow balls, Running about in the spring sunshine, they certainly were attractive. Their shrill cheeps, as they chased each other with bits of food or straw in their bills, and the avidity with which they ate, showed that they did not miss the hen, and that the homemade brooder was quite a good substitute for her. When it rained, or the weather was particularly raw, Jack carried the brooder into the cellar, and the chicks exercised on the floor there. But settled spring weather warm as showery soon set in and the early birds thrived the change from the city tenement to this country environment and the resultant outdoor exercise had done greater good to mr heron perhaps than to any of the family he had the appetite of a boy he slept like a child and he was able to turn off almost as much work as jack himself only what he did could be nothing involving the exercise of judgment. If shown how to do simple tasks, he would keep to work all day without complaint. Now that the grass had begun to spring, the fertility of the soil about the burned mansion was shown by the rich green color and lush growth of the lawn. Billy set his father to raking the accumulated litter of two seasons off the lawns, and the debris was heaped in the driveway and burned. This was a job occupying Mr. Heron's time for some days, and he was busily engaged in it when the first harbinger of spring appeared, or, at least, so Billy called it. This wasn't a bluebird, but a most disreputable specimen of the genus Tramp. He hailed Billy in the professional whine, claiming to be looking for work, but at that moment merely suffering for a square meal. All right said billy briskly you better stay right out there in the road and i'll speak to my sister and see if she can give you a sandwich 
If you come in here, you might see what you say you're looking for, and in your delicate health, the shock would be too much for you. The fellow grinned in appreciation of the sarcasm and took no offense. He leaned his elbows on the masonry and watched Mr. Heron at work with the rake. He was a man upwards of fifty, with a blousy complexion, the fine purple veins often caused by the use of liquor to excess plainly visible in his cheeks. He wore a heavy red roan moustache, as coarse as horsehair, but otherwise was cleanly shaven and must have been, in his youth, a good-looking man. But his dress was slovenly. His light blue eyes were narrow and glanced from side to side, slyly. Altogether, his was a most untrustworthy face. He seemed to find Mr. Heron's countenance interesting, for he stared at it most of the time while he was waiting for the lunch Billy had promised him. By and by, Mr. Heron saw the tramp as he raked nearer the road wall. The unfortunate gentleman seldom noticed any stranger, but this man he looked at several times and finally nodded to him gravely. "'Same to you, Pop,' responded the tramp, grinning and nodding in return. Then he looked at Billy, jerked his thumb at Mr. Heron, who had moved on, and said coarsely, "'Off his nanny a little, ain't he? The old gen, I mean.' "'My father is a trifle eccentric,' said Billy gravely. "'And he's all right at that,' ejaculated the tramp quickly. "'No offense meant, boss. Gee, that looks good.' This last exclamation was called forth by the appearance of Pearl Mary from the house with a big sandwich wrapped in tissue paper and a cup of steaming tea. The tramp seized the latter, nodded to the girl with a grin, and drank her health with gusto. Then he began ravenously upon the sandwich as Pearl Mary turned back toward the house. It was just then that Billy saw his father standing near the tramp again and watching him with evident interest. The eyes of the wayfarer were on the girl, who passed so gracefully up the driveway. Mr. Heron leaned over the wall and touched the man's arm. The vague expression which usually marred his appearance had departed from his eyes, and both his thought and gaze seemed concentrated on the stranger who turned at the touch to look at him. Mr. Heron said, quietly, She was only a baby when you saw her last. You would not have known her now, would you? The tramp stared at him, poising his sandwich in the air, and with his mouth open for another huge bite. His florid face began to whiten, and his watery eyes were round. Say, what you given us? He murmured. Then some thoughts seemed to prick his memory into light. He turned his head jerkily and looked after the girl again. Then he saw Billy, who, amazed, had heard and seen it all. What's this guy's name, hey? asked the tramp, huskily, with a nod at the cripple's father. Our name is Heron. Do you? Heron. The man's face actually blanched. His weak eyes blinked in apparent fright. He favored Mr. Heron with a single quick glance, and then lumbered off down the road without uttering another word. Billy called after him, and even started in pursuit. But on his cane he could not hobble as fast as the tramp's clumsy dog trot carried him over the ground. In two minutes the man was out of sight around a turn in the road. 
Billy came back to his father. Mr. Heron stood leaning on the rake, wiping his brow wearily and with the old puzzled look in his eyes. Am I, am I doing this right, Billy? he asked in his childish way. It was no use to try to get at what had happened, what the scene had meant. If there had been a rift in the cloud upon Mr. Heron's mind, the aperture was closed again. If what he had said to the tramp meant anything at all, Billy could not arouse his father's interest in it again, nor get at the meaning of it. About this time, Jack and his father were getting the onion patch forked over. Luckily, it was rich soil, for, as before stated, they had little manure with which to fertilize it. The compost heap they had begun to build would not be fit for use until the following season, or until fall at the very earliest. And, by the way, a word about that compost heap might not be amiss. The careful gardener lets nothing go to waste. Everything of a vegetable nature that will decompose should go into such a heap. Billy and Jack marked out a space ten by twenty feet, within which the big fellow excavated a trench three feet deep. Into this pit had gone some green stable manure that Jack had hauled from the village when they were making their hotbed, and all the waste grass and weed stalks gathered in the garden. Leaves, lawn rakings, such swill as came from their table, sods, and all similar refuse, each layer of a foot or so being well tramped down and covered with three or four inches of earth, and plenty of water flung upon it to hasten its decomposition. Gradually, the pile loomed above the ground, as they added to it. But as Jack kept the refuse well covered and smoothed down, it was not offensive, and, later in the season, was made really ornamental. A thick carpet of grass grew on the sides, which Billy kept smoothly clipped, and on the squared-off top, Pearl Mary had a bed of pansies, the seed of which she had started in shallow boxes in the house away back in February. They sowed some early beet and spinach seed before April 1st, but not until All Fool's Day did they begin to plant the onion seed. By that time, the bulk of the great patch had been forked over. Jack pulverized and smoothed it with the garden rake in sections ten or twelve feet wide. Then he began marking the rows and sowing the seed with the aid of Billy's planter. This latter implement worked very well indeed, although it wasted more seed than a patented cedar. In sowing the onion seed, Jack skipped each seventh row right across the bed to facilitate the weeding and cultivating of the crop. While he smoothed, marked, and sowed the seed, Mr. Heron finished the spading of the piece, and at the end of the week the seed was all in, and each narrow bed was lightly raked crosswise. The patch looked like a great brown bedquilt. Meanwhile, the first planting of peas was breaking the soil, and the young farmers began to look anxiously for the first potato leaf. As soon as the peas showed their tender green leaves, Jack began cultivating them loosening the soil along the rows, and cutting off every weed that dared show its head. On the seventh day, after the first onion seeds were planted, that end of the bed began to be speckled with weeds. Nature had ruled that the hardest thing to kill and the easiest thing to sprout and grow is a weed seed. 
On Billy's advice, Jack began raking the onion patch lightly, working lengthwise of the rows, and so destroying the springing weeds without materially disturbing the more slowly germinating onion seeds below. It was a joyous morning for the herons when the first rows of onions broke ground. Ah! exclaimed Billy, with a sigh of relief. Now my work begins. From now on, most of my time will be spent on my knees in this patch. Once the weeds get ahead of you in an onion patch, and it is cheaper to plow it up and plant over again than to try to find your onions. Jack, you and father and sis have been doing the hard work so far. Now I can be of some use, cried Billy, who sometimes fretted because he was not as active as the others. Goodness me, said Pearl Mary, I'd like to know what you call what you've done. That doesn't sound grammatical somehow, agreed Jack, but it is to the point just the same. How would we get along if it wasn't for you, Billy? Your brains are worth all the rest of the families put together. Ah, brains, responded Billy, with disgust. End of chapter 10